Bible tonight. So we're going to be in Ezekiel 25. From Ezekiel 25 to Ezekiel 32 is a common uh, delineation in the prophets, okay? Every single book of the prophets has the oracle of the nations. So we have the beginning. First you have Ezekiel's call, and then you have the Lord delivering to Ezekiel the message to the refugees, don't miss this, <clears throat> that Jerusalem are not the righteous people. Jerusalem's the, the area where God's going to judge. And the people who have a chance to raise up another generation to go into the land of Jerusalem are actually the refugees, which is a, a different message because the refugees pretty much think, well, our life is over because we're here. We're not in Jerusalem. So, so that message has been delivered. Uh, the last chapter, chapter 24, remember God told Ezekiel, tell the people write down this day. Now we're going to do chapter 25 to 32. When we get to chapter 33, that's when the refugees are going to come back from Jerusalem and tell the people the day Ezekiel said, write this day down, was the day Jerusalem fell. So this section, 25 to 32, is, is basically a proclamation that all the prophets make uh, that is... I know sometimes when we read the prophets, we, I, I think we can get our brains wrapped around the wrong thing. What God is declaring in the oracle of the nations is, you're all mine. Yes, I have a particular plan for the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is going to bring forth Messiah. And Messiah is going to deliver uh, salvation, right? And then he's going to gather people from how many tribes? How many tongues? How many nations, right? The Bible tells us from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, a, a, a gathering of God's elect, right? The book of Revelation talks about them, and they can't be numbered. So it's this huge group that are saved. And if you do a careful reading through scriptures and you look through Deuteronomy chapter 32, you'll see that when, when God, he's, he's telling the people, look, there's going to come a day we're going to come into the land, or, or as the people came into the land, as they came into uh, Babylon the first time, all the way back Genesis, uh, what were we, 11, 10, they come into Babel, remember, and they build a, a, a tower to the heavens, and they're going to, they're making the same kind of mistakes we'll see in a few chapters. Satan makes, you know, I'll lift up my throne above God, I will be like the Most High. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, God says, okay, I'm going to give the nations over, and I'm going to draw out my own peculiar people. And Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram. And the journey begins from Genesis 12 all the way through. Now, in Deuteronomy, the Lord is rehearsing this to the people, and he tells them, Look, you're, you are the people. I have, I have relinquished the nations... But I'm going to gather the nations back in. The point is, God's not saying I'm casting the nations off. He's saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring them back in. That There will be a light unto the Gentiles, right? That's all. I, that's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. God will draw the Gentiles in. Now, in the oracle of the nations, God is making this proclamation. All the nations are mine. They're all mine. I know we talk about Israel, but 
The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. It all belongs to the Lord. And so when you see the oracle of the nations, I just want you to understand, this is God's declaration that you are my people too, and you are in disobedience, and disobedience is going to be corrected. No matter who you are. And so he's laying that out. Now, specifically, in the next, what, 25 to 32, we're going to have seven oracles. And I think tonight we do one, two, three, four, four out of seven or five out of seven we do in chapter 25. So the rest of the chapters are going to focus on two oracles to the nation. So, so as we look at it, and I want you to know this, he's going to start with the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites. Now you may say, why should I care about that? Because the Ammonites, Moabites, and Edomites are all cousins. Right? You guys remember Lot? His two daughters thought the world was ending. So Lot fathered two sons. You remember their name? Moab and Ammon. They became the Moabites and the Ammonites. Now you have one other fella. You have a set of twins, right? One through whom Messiah was going to come. His name was Heel Catcher. And the other brother, Esau. And Esau, he's the father of the Edomites. So these are all relatives. Now, admittedly, we're hundreds of years beyond, right? And so they're nations now. But it's interesting when we think about it, I want you to understand that, that God's desire was not to displace the Ammonites or the Moabites as he was coming into the land. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 19, listen to what God instructed Israel as they're going into the land. And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, that's the Ammonites, don't harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot. So I know I, sometimes we think that God's whole vision and direction was wholly focused on Israel and, and he never had provision for anybody else. But that's not true. Now, we're following a narrative in the Bible that deals with Messiah, salvation, God creating uh, um, uh, the new covenant, all the things that we see coming to, to uh, culmination. As we're going through, as we're working our way through all of that, we also want to recognize that God is also working amidst the other nations. We only get snippets. So here you see Deuteronomy 2.19. God had given the land of, of the Ammonites to them as a possession for the sons of Lot. So we begin Ezekiel 25, 1 and 2. So it says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward the Ammonites and prophesy against them. So he's now got a word for the nation of Ammon. For the Ammonites, we're going to see the Moabites, we're going to see the Edomites, uh, the Lord's message to them. He says in verse 3, say to the Ammonites, I want you to hear this, hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, over my sanctuary when it was profane, and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and over the house of Judah when they went into exile. Now here's God's judgment for the Ammonites. 
because you celebrated my judgment on the people of Israel. And the point of that is we should always be careful to celebrate God's judgment on someone else. Because the Lord is like, what are you celebrating for? I just haven't got to your room yet. I'm stopped at your younger brother and I'm whooping him. But I'm coming down the hall to your bedroom. Don't sit in there and mock your brother because when I come in there, you guys get what I'm saying? The, the discipline that the Lord is bringing. So the Lord, here's, these are the points that brought uh, this, uh, this attitude of judgment from the Lord. He said, first thing, you celebrated the, the judgment that came against Israel. Now, I'm sure there were lots of reasons. This is how we comfort ourselves in our bitterness. Uh, by the way, there's a couple of workbooks out there on overcoming bitterness. If anybody's interested, if you see them and you'd like to pick one up, help yourself. But this is what we do. We do this. They deserve it. They've done this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, and they deserve what they're getting. They deserve every bit of it. And that, you know, they should be made to stand up and apologize and do all of these things, do whatever we think will bring about justice. That's not your job. Whose job's that? That's God's job. Are we supposed to sit on his throne? Are we supposed to take his judgment? The Bible says all judgment has been committed to the son, not to us. So what is it that we need to do? We need to relinquish our bitterness. We need to relinquish. This is what forgiveness is all about. Relinquish the judgment we have that says, I want to be made even. I want to get, I want to get even. I want to, that's the only way this can be okay. You know, if you pay enough, I get a pound of flesh or, or a quart of blood or whatever the desire is. No. I shared with you guys a couple Sundays ago, if your glass is full and somebody bumps it and bitterness comes out, that's because bitterness was inside. And you don't have that right. There's nowhere where God says, you have the right to be bitter. I know life has been bad and people have done stuff to you and, and I'm sorry and it's wrong. You're right, but you don't get to hold it. Your job is to relinquish that into the hands of God. Now, does God have judgment against you? Yes. What did God do with his judgment against you? The wrath of God that, that we were in line to receive was put upon his son for me. Jesus bore the wrath of God. He saves me from the wrath of God. I don't have the right now to say, well, you owe me 10 bucks, so I'm going to choke you and throw you in prison until you pay it all. I don't get that right. The people of Ammon may have been done wrong. Maybe there's things in the history I don't know about that Israel did to them that's a reason for them to be bitter and celebrate their destruction. But God's word to them is this is not okay. Celebrating the destruction is, is not okay. In verse 6, he also says, for thus says the Lord God, because you clapped your hands and stomped your feet and rejoiced, listen, with all the malice within your soul. Where was the malice? See, this is the problem people have. They think evil is outside of us. And we got to be careful not to let it in. 
But the reality is it's already in us, right? Jesus said it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Jesus said it didn't get in there because you ate with unwashed hands. It was already there. It was already there. It is our relationship with Christ that will set us free from that. So these are the points of God's anger against the nation of, of, of the Ammonites who was celebrating the, the just destruction of a people who probably in their history they, they got beef with. But God says, that's not okay. That's not all right. They reacted with pleasure when Babylon attacked. They celebrated the destruction of the temple. They celebrated the desolation of the land. They celebrated the final Judahites going into captivity. So this is what the Lord says in verse 4. Therefore, behold, I am handing you over to the people of the east for a possession. And they will set their encampments along you and make their dwellings in your midst. They will eat your fruit, drink your milk. I will make Rabah a pasture for camels and Ammon a fold for flocks and you will know I am the Lord. And you're going to see this phrase over and over again. Then you will know I am the Lord. Now you need to understand what that means. Then you will know I am the Lord means this is all mine. Now they would say, the Ammonites would say, no, our gods are so and so and such and such. So we don't really care what Yahweh has to say. He's not our God. And that's why the Lord says, no, when this happens, then you will know I'm the Lord. There's one. There's one. This is all mine. And so this is what's going to happen. So what's, what we see, if you look at the order of the oracle of the nations in Ezekiel, they're different in every prophet. But in the order in Ezekiel, basically if you look at Judah and you go clockwise around Judah, that's the order of these seven nations that are going to be prophesied against. And in Ezekiel, Babylon's not mentioned. Now, in Jeremiah, they are. You have God talk about Babylon. In this particular section of the oracle uh, against the nations, Babylon's not mentioned. And many scholars think that's because Babylon is the tool God's using. So Babylon is like the sword of Jehu in, in Kings. This is, this is the, the, the method through which God is is bringing his judgment. We know from other prophets, Babylon had their day in the sun too. So everyone, every tribe, every nation, every knee, every tongue, they're all going to stand before the creator of the universe, right? And so in the oracle of the nations, we see this. Uh, then they will know that I am the Lord. Therefore, behold, I stretch out my hand against you and will hand you over as plunder to the nations. And I will cut you off from the peoples, and you will perish out of the countries. I will destroy you, and you will know I am the Lord. So God's judgment on the Ammonites and his proclamation that you're mine. And there's a sense as we move forward that <clears throat> what's going on when the Lord is talking, a lot of times when he's talking about the destruction of these nations, it's, he's, 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 we're, we'll see a little bit later, he's going to use Israel. He's going to say, Israel's going to destroy you. And you say to yourself, well, Israel's gone. And then after this, there's going to be a little bitty Israel when Jesus comes. And then that Israel is going to be destroyed in 70 AD. What, Israel's, what, what is the prophecy referencing? The prophecy is referencing the return of Messiah. 
the, the coming of the Christ, the day when he will put his banner in the earth and say the kingdoms of God have become the kingdoms of our God and, and his Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ taking ownership of the nations. What went away in Genesis 11, 10, 11 is captured again at the, in the book of Revelation. Jesus is taking them back. He's redeeming out of the nations, which will be the destruction of the wicked and the salvation of his elect, right? Those who have trusted in him. So next we look at the Moabites. Moabites in verse 8, thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir said, behold, the house of Judah is like all other nations. I will lay open the flank of Moab from the cities. From its cities on the frontier, the glory of the country, Beth, Jeshimoth, Baal, Maon, Kirith, uh, Kirithaim. I will give it along with the Ammonites to the people of the east, that's Babylon, as a possession. And the Ammonites will be remembered no more among the nations, and I will execute judgments on Moab, and they will know that I am the Lord. So again, he says, look, I am going to, this is the Lord saying, I am going to get his, the Lord is going to get vengeance. Not our job. It's God's job. The Lord says, look, because of your reaction and in my judgment against Judah, I am going to uh, gain vengeance upon you. And you also will face the Babylonians just like everybody else. So the Babylonians will be part of the judgment. For what reason? What does he say at the end again? Then they will know, what? I'm the Lord. Now again, when we talk about the Moabites, the Moabites would say, Yahweh is not our God. He's not the Lord. Baal is the Lord. Look at all the names of the cities. You got Baal, Maon. You have, they have their own gods. This is part of what scripture talks about. In Deuteronomy 32, when the Lord says that he has given them over to the sons of God. And there's a sense in which all of the, <clears throat> all of the um, Old Testament false gods that were worshipped are representations of fallen angels. Fallen angels that were over geographical areas. You've seen it in Daniel. You saw, you saw Gabriel coming with an answer to Daniel and being withheld and, and Michael having to set him loose from the prince of Persia, right? You have these, these, this, this talk about in the spiritual realm that we don't see, these battles, these powers. Well, I'm saying these nations who worship false gods, they didn't just wake up one day and go, you know, I'm going to pull out a piece of wood in my pocket and I'm going to carve it into something and give it a name. No, pride ought. They probably had interaction with angelic beings, and they can do stuff we can't. So what is your natural inclination? To worship. And if you're a fallen angel, are you bothered by that? No. Cool. Hey, man, I got these guys. They're worshiping me. They're worshiping me. So when the Lord says, hey, then they will know I'm the Lord. Understand that that judgment that's happening in Moab or Ammon is also a judgment behind or to the spiritual power it, that they're worshiping. 
And it's God's declaration that they're not Lord. That ain't Lord. I fired that dude. Wait till you see what I do to him later. But he's, he is making that proclamation. Then they will know, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. Because keep in mind, how would they think? Look, if, if we lost to you, your God's greater than our God. So here God, through the prophets, are giving the oracle, saying, here's what's going to happen. Before it happens, when it does happen, they will know, I'm the Lord. I'm the one. Now he goes on to the Edomites in verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, <coughs> because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah. So there's some way in which Edom joined together with Babylon in Babylon's conquering. Like they're coming through and the Edomites go, hey, you guys going to Judah? Yeah. Hey, can we help? So the Edomites, they, they didn't like, they didn't care much for the folks of Judah. So it says, they acted revengefully against the house of Judah and have grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Who does vengeance belong to? It is not yours. The Bible says that, right? In fact, it's not even one of those hard to understand verses. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. That's, 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 that's not hard to understand, is it? In fact, specifically in the context, the Lord is calling us to lay down vengeance. That's not yours. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. That's not, that is not our job. So God's judgment on Edom. Now, I'm not, I don't know what Israel did wrong to Edom. But I promise you, Israel is a person, people like us. I have done wrong things to people. People have done wrong things to me. It's not hard for me to believe, right, that they had done somebody wrong. But the Lord's declaration is, you're not the judge of all the earth. I have a hard enough time figuring out what's right or wrong for me. I don't need to take the job of figuring it out for you. I need the Lord to do that, right? Vengeance is mine. What is it that all of us want? If you are a man, your number one choice in movie is not some chick flick where you see a love story. They're ice skating. They fall in love with each other. Right? Nobody likes that. Oh, let me, let me rephrase that. No man likes that. What is Hollywood knows what to make for men to watch. It is always a revenge movie. It is always somebody done something wrong to your family, somebody, somebody did something to you, and they didn't know that you were really a top-secret CIA agent <laughs> who, who keeps a bunch of guns buried under the concrete in his basement, and who knew that you could dodge bullets and all that stuff, but hey, now you're mad, so you're going to do it. That is in the heart of man. Why do you think God told us? Vengeance is mine. It's not yours. And those, those movies that I, 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 I got the same bug. I want to be the hero of the story, right? I think that's, that's a natural thing that men want. But it does not feed my spirit at all. 
but it does feed my flesh. And most of the time, my flesh has got way too much going on. It needs to, to miss a couple of meals. You know what I mean? So that, so that I can walk in the spirit. I'm not, I'm not just packing things into the flesh. I'm not just satisfying the desires of the flesh. Listen to what the Lord said. The Lord said, so I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut it off uh, from it, man and beast. I will make it desolate from Timon even to Dedan, that's Saudi Arabia area. <clears throat> they will fall by the sword and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom. You want vengeance? What, did, what is it that the Lord said? Nobody likes to quote this verse. Jesus looked over at Peter when Peter was whacking ears off with a sword. He said, Peter, put that sword away. Don't you know if you live by the sword? Now, I just want you to think about it like this. Maybe this is a good way to think about it. I'm not, I'm not talking about defending yourself. Don't come tell me. Can I? If a guy jumps into my house and he's trying to kill my family, what can I do? Well... I'm going to shoot him. You do whatever you want. But, but the, my point is, is not that. My, my, my point is, when we, when we look at this, if you want to live by vengeance, if you want to live by judging others, if you want to live by these, what is it that the Lord said? The Lord said, by whatever, whatever uh, cup you use will be, used for you so so if i want to live by the sword where i'm wreaking vengeance on everybody what am i planting vengeance what what is going to come to harvest vengeance you know what vengeance does there's always somebody left behind by vengeance right you know there's been guys in our history who thought you know i need to, i need revenge against the nation and so I'm going to go blow up a, a government building. And then in that government building, I, I kill a bunch of kids. And I got a, about a, I don't even know how many hundreds or thousands of guys who would like to do the same thing to you now. And where does that stop? It doesn't stop. If it stopped, Israel would have peace by now. They should have killed enough people, but they haven't. Because every time they kill somebody, they leave somebody else behind who grows up hating them. Right? And vice versa. Is it, does terrorism work? Has it ever worked? No. All it makes is orphans that now want to terrorize you. That's why the Lord says it's mine. Can, can, will, will God judge right, righteously? Do I? Probably not. Will God? For sure. For sure. We want to commit that judgment. The Lord says, look, you wanted vengeance? So you're going to reap vengeance. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. You catch it? Israel don't even exist. Israel's gone. There is no Israel. Seventy years they're going to live in Babylon. They're going to come back to the land. They're going to be so weak during the intertestamental period that's the period between the old testament and the new testament that they're going to reach out for help from a little known country called rome and we all know how that ends right 
there's a Roman occupation. Because if you ask me for help, I'll, I'll come help you. I'm helping, Rome was helping them against the Greeks. They kept having this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. Every time he passed by, he'd spit on them. He'd hit them. He'd punch them. He'd burn their towns. So they go, man, we need some help. So they call Rome. So who was in charge of Israel when Jesus came? Rome. Who was in charge of Israel when they were destroyed? Rome. So when the Lord says, look, my people are going to bring that vengeance. When I look at this, I look at it in terms of under the kingdom of Messiah. And that kingdom is a kingdom that is twofold. That kingdom does bring judgment, right? When Jesus comes back, what comes out of his mouth? A sword, right? And he's going to destroy the enemies, the wicked, with the word of his mouth. He don't have to swing it. He just speak, right? Like he said, let there be light and, yeah. So he says, let there be no armies stuck together anymore. And they all just fall apart. He doesn't need a weapon. The point is he's going to make war against the wicked and he's going to deliver his elect, the righteous. Those who are looking to Messiah for salvation. And so <coughs> that judgment, that's the judgment I think he's talking about when he looks at Edom. That's when he, when he talks about the Edomites, when he says, look, this is going to happen according to my wrath and then they will know my vengeance declares the Lord God. Now the next group he looks at is the Philistines. The fourth group, I think it's the last group we're looking at tonight. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines. Now the Philistines were the people who lived on the coast. They're on the coast. They actually had Navy. Israel never had one of those uh, back then. They're like, yeah, no, we'll fish. That's good for us. But uh, the Philistines, they were a, a seacoast people. And he says, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines. I will cut off the Cherethites and destroy the rest of the seacoast. I will execute vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. And then they will know I am the Lord when I have put my vengeance upon them. When we look at the oracle of the nations, God's not talking about individual people. He's talking about big nations, it ought to be clear to us who is in charge of the world. It's not us. It's God. He is in charge. The nations are his. And the New Testament declares that every knee will, every tongue will, that Jesus is who? Then they will know I am the Lord. So the oracle of the nations, God delivering the nations. One of the incredible things that Jesus declares at the end, when the kingdom of God is finished and the redeemed have been redeemed and the wicked have been punished, Jesus says, and I am going to lay all that down before my father. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to lay it all to him, presenting to the father that which the son has redeemed, accomplished. Those who were, who were judged, those who were delivered. He's going to lay all those things down before the father. And then we'll see what happens next. 
Bible doesn't tell us. There'll be another chapter. Don't worry. There'll be one. But this is the culmination of both salvation and judgment from the Lord. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let us pray tonight as we go from here. Uh, I think we got a setup of uh, a cornhole tournament set up outside somewhere. I decided we need something a little easier for the old man to play. Not you old man, this one. Doesn't require frisbee. Man, I don't know, dude. Josh says he throw a frisbee so good I don't have to move. But I still got to catch it without getting drilled in the eye. So anyway, we're going to have cornhole out there. We got root beer floats. Hope you guys will hang out and uh, fellowship with one another and uh, look for opportunities to bless one another and allow God to, uh, to grow his body. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the truth, Lord, that you are Lord of all. This is all yours. And I long, God, for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But I also know that great and glorious day when you establish your kingdom is also a sorrowful day for those who don't know you or have rejected you. And today we find ourselves here as witnesses of what God has done for us. So may we be men and women willing to share the truth of the gospel with those who will hear. And God, may you grant ears that listen, hearts willing to receive and understand and comprehend what you're laying out, Lord, that you would be glorified and that you would be magnified in and through it all. We thank you for the incredible work you are doing and have done, and we look forward, God, to more to come as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.